Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. Alhamdulillahi rabbil alameen wa salatu wa salam ala nabiyyil kareem wa ala alihi wa ashabihi ajma'in. Welcome dear respected viewers um, back to uh, Roots Academy special episode. This is number 19 I believe uh, with Ustad Rihan Salim. Assalamu alaikum Ustad again. Wa alaikum salam. Uh, I haven't said this before but it's a pleasure to have you. Uh, and Ustad, mashallah, is uh, someone that I know very well uh, And he played a huge part in my development And uh, I'm sure uh, he's played a, lot, a huge part for many people's lives as well um, Ustad Rihan, uh, Rihan Salim is uh, I didn't tell him I'll do an introduction But I want to do an introduction as well He's a, uh, a postgraduate or has achieved a postgraduate In the field of international development uh, From the University of Manchester uh, He began his studies in the UK With respected uh, open school of Islamic studies uh, with Sheikh Abdullah before traveling to Egypt where he focused on Arabic and Islamic studies uh, as well as he completed a college diploma from the Ma'had al-Azhar um, he spent time studying under Shayukh uh, such as Ahmed, Taha, Rayyan and other respected teachers uh, thereafter he traveled to Jeddah where he worked and continued seeking knowledge particularly in fiqh, hadith and other subjects with local scholars uh, he then went on, to, went on to study and complete a BA program in Islamic law uh, from the Imam Muhammad University on Yarab. I didn't know you did that, mashallah. Didn't know that. Yes. Okay. He currently works with uh, for an educational NGO based in Manchester and is also a director for N30, 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 N30O, N3O, yeah. LTD, a company developing software consulting services for charities. Um, so, yeah, this is uh, Ustad Rihan. Can everyone let us know if uh, you can see us and the sounds okay in the comment section? Comment section. Okay. Looks to be okay. Mm. Okay, mashallah Sajad. Alhamdulillah, good. Good to hear from you as well. Mashallah, tabarakallah. Let me just put my phones in silence so I don't <coughs> ruin the or jeopardize the, uh, the podcast, inshallah. Sorry. Okay, so the topic for today, inshallah ta'ala, is how can we incorporate Islamic governance in the charity sector? Uh, and that is not just the, the, the only topic, there's uh, lots of different uh, subtopics within this uh, realm as well. And um, actually, before we even get into this meaty topic, uh, which, which can probably take many episodes because of just how, you know, how, 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 which way you take it. Um, I was wondering if we start off with defining charity. Like, what is charity from an Islamic perspective, from a Shari'i perspective? Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. Wassalatu wassalamu ala Sayyidina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi wa sallim tasliman kathira. Assalamualaikum, Asim and uh, brothers and sisters. Uh, so it's always good to see you, alhamdulillah. So essentially, charity, as we know, kind of in its base form, is kind of preference for somebody else, or giving preference to someone who is more needy. Um, Charity, I mean, of course, we know that there's different types of charity, but there's kind of two main elements. One is kind of the, the obligatory type charity, as we know, the zakah, which comes from zakat, which means to basically to purify one's wealth. And it's the religious obligation. And then we have on the other side things to do with, for example, sadaqah, which comes from the word sadaqah, which means to be truthful. Um, and sadaqah is a voluntary charity. Now in the Quran, it interchanges, it uses the word sadaqah, in the Masadaqah for Zakah as well. But generally, you have two times. One is the religious obligation, and one which is the 
kind of voluntary. Um, and of course, then you have kind of things which fall within that. You have uh, to do with the zakat al-fitr and you have, uh, you know, qurbani, udhiyah and all of these elements. But generally, they fall into those two. Um, I think it's just worth noting people ask that, you know, what is the what is the actual wisdom in the charity? Uh, and I think I'll just touch upon this point that actually Imam Maqdisi from the scholars, he says that there are three main benefits for charity. The first of the wisdom is that it tests your sincerity in terms of that you give something away for the sake of Allah. It tests the sincerity of your preference for others, i.e. your worship to Allah. The second is that it removes the blameworthy traits of miserliness, bukhul, which of course, when you give money to somebody else, it removes that from your heart. So there's a very internal, intrinsic element to it. And then finally, the main one, or the, one of the main points is that it's a form of thankfulness, i.e. shukr to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, that with the blessing that he has given you, it is a form of showing thanks to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Um, so yeah, this is kind of a general intro into charity, inshallah. And in terms of, you know, uh, you mentioned that there's different types of charities. So there's, there's obligatory charity, like zakat, and there's also a voluntary charity. Um, when we think of the charity sector in the UK, generally speaking, uh, the Muslim charity sector, or just generally the Muslim charity sector overall uh, in the West, um, I'm guessing, do we, mo do we mostly focus on the voluntary aspects of charity or do we have a holistic, cohesive plan to incorporate obligatory aspects and voluntary aspects from your experiences have you seen? So, you know, interestingly, maybe people might not know this, but actually in Ramadan, you find that the majority of the income which comes in for the charities is actually zakah, which is quite interesting. Um, and so that's why you see many of the charities pushing for zakah funds or zakah campaigns. Um, what you find is that, of course, there's a kind of innate feeling that we should give our, our religious obligatory charity in Ramadan because of the barakah. Also, it's part of the fact that people want to remember because they don't remember the Islamic dates. So they prefer to use Ramadan. Um, but what you find actually a large percentage of money which comes into charities is through zakah, apart from kind of external business partnerships and institutional funding. Um, in terms of from our perspective, of course, you know, one of the things we'd say is that though we don't restrict, and that's a separate topic about zakah being only for those in the locality, of course, there are different opinions in, in that case. But in reality, because there's so much hajj and need in the world at the moment, then, of course, both take priority. One is the fact that you have to give your religious charity to fulfill your obligation, and it becomes haram if you do not do that. Uh, but on the other side, in terms of, like we said, preference and having good you know, opinion of others and helping others, then Sadako takes preference there as well. So, I mean, there's both a need in all cases, but I think when you look at the sector, I'd say an average, Wallahu A'lam, is kind of 60% Sadaqah, 40% Zakah is being spent. And also, with regards to this as well, like um, even... The um, when you look into charity sector, generally speaking, there there isn't really um, that many institutions I can think of within the UK that's purely focused on zakat. Yeah. Um, and some people I like from my uncles when I used to speak to them and stuff, they would say we would not we would not really worry too much on zakats because we're living in foreign lands mm. and there's no uh, zakat, there's no betul mal, whatever these kinds of things that they use to justify and so there's this element of that we're not living in, a, in an islamic government 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 or yeah. we're not living in an islamic country where yeah. they have the institutional framework to you know facilitate for the zakat on a wide scale i mean what would you say what would you say regarding that 
Yeah, I mean, I think just generally when you think about Islamic governance, and I suppose just worth touching upon the concept of Islamic governance, that Islamic governance is very wide in terms of referring to the Khalifa um, and dealing with emirs and, you know, the imamate and the jihad and the legal laws, tribunals, you know, administration of hajj and zakah and criminal action. So, of course, Islamic governance as a whole uh, is something which, yeah, you could argue we as an individual or we as individuals in the West don't necessarily fall under that. The only thing I would say to that, though, is that when you start to look at Islamic charity in particular, then organizations who take up the responsibility of being a zakah collector, for example, where they say someone sets up a charity says I'm collecting zakah, though they're not bound by kind of, they're not under a William Amr or they're not under a, a kind of Islamic governor, they are still bound by the, you know, by the, by the obligations of, of discharging that zakah. So, for example, you have to give it to the eight categories. You have to make sure that, you know, um, are you considered as an agent of, of the donor or are you going to be considered as a zakah administrator? Now, these are discussions which take place. And many of the scholars said, look, you're just an agent. When we say an agent, we say that you're not a zakah administrator in the traditional sense. You've just been given uh, permission by the donor to discharge the zakah properly. So the thing is, is that once you take that mantle where you say to people, I'm going to deliver something in Pakistan or I'm going to deliver something in Yemen, you are bound by your word. Um, and, you know, as we know in the Quran, in Allah, he talks about that you have to fulfill your amanat, your trusts and your, your promises to their people. And uh, when he says Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, وَالَّذِينَ um, at, uh, I think when he says that you give your your wealth uh, according to the trust and the promises in Surah Al-Mu'minun, sorry. So we see that actually you have to bound by those particular principles. Um, so I think one of the things that you know you find is that we kind of potentially try to circumvent the concept of governance and say it doesn't apply to us. But as soon as we collect that one penny for zakah, we automatically assume that responsibility. So yeah, I'd say that it's important in any case when you're raising funds for that. I was going to say as well, um, you know, the idea of amana and trust in Islam. I think um, if we are considered the agents in that case, then it's quite a it's quite a risky business in that sense. In the sense that that amana is quite strong because you're dealing with someone else's money. Um, so I mean, how how as as a charity or uh, charities themselves? I mean. Should there be protocol in place of high significance? Should there be maintenance costs of high significance to factor in that they don't want to be mishandling of any person's monies? Yeah, I mean, the thing is, I, I, you know, we did a zakah policy just before Ramadan for an organization. Um, and as part of that kind of research, you know, you look at what some of the ahadith and the, the severity of it um, and, and you see so many hadith and indications which talk about how the Prophet ﷺ was very much um, concerned about taking that money. So, for example, there is one narration which is mentioned uh, that whereby the Prophet ﷺ was walking with a companion called Abu Rafi' and he's walking in uh, Baqi, you know, the cemetery of Baqi. And all of a sudden, the Prophet ﷺ turned around and said, woe to you, woe to you, woe to you. And so... Uh, Abu Rafi' turned around and said, are you talking to me, Ya Rasulullah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam? And he said, no, I'm not talking to you. I'm talking to the one in the grave. 
And he said, why? What happened? And so the Prophet ﷺ said that this person was ordered to take zakah from so-and-so lands and he misappropriated a nimra. A nimra is like, um, basically it's a nice form of wool, it's a form of clothing. And so he said that this person is being clothed with this wool in the hellfire. Um, and there are other indications, you know, there are other parts, for example, that the one who misappropriates even a needle's worth of zakah, then they will be uh, held accountable Yom Um we know that the Prophet ﷺ, for example, there was a date which he found near his bed and he wasn't sure if it was from the zakah or not. So he was stayed up all night and he wanted to make sure that he would give it. And there's so many indications about clothing, foodstuffs, etc. So the thing is, is that there's no doubt that it's a massive responsibility. Um, and, you know, it's not just zakah. So the other thing, Asim, is that, you know, we talk about orphan sponsorship a lot. And I'm, I'm involved in that as well in terms of certain organizations. And you find actually that in the when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, do not approach, you know, do not approach the, the wealth of the orphan except that which is better. And so many of the ahkam relating or rulings relating to the orphan in the Quran are primarily relating to the wealth which was left behind by their father who had passed away, and they're too young to use it, so it's given to the guardian to look after on their behalf. So a lot of the ayat refer to that. Now the question though comes is that if you have a donor who has said, for example, you as a charity have said, okay, you can sponsor this orphan, you can look after this specific orphan, we will facilitate the payment to that orphan. So the donor agrees and he comes into a contract to say, okay, look, I'll sponsor this orphan for 30 pounds a month. Now, if now the question is, okay, it's not exactly the same situation, but by analogy, it's still the wealth of the orphan. If you misappropriate that, if you don't, for example, deliver that how you should deliver or you take too much admin on top of what is reasonable um, then in those cases you could be akin to the individual where Allah subhanahu wa talks about نارا, that in their in their stomachs is, is fire talking to the people who consume the wealth of the orphans uh, unlawfully so the point being is that I mean it's not to scare people but the reality is is that when you recognize that from an Islamic perspective, there's more than enough athar and, and narrations which indicate that the Sahaba, the Prophet Allah in the Quran indicates that the rights, hukuk al-ibad and the rights of the believers or the rights of the slaves have a massive impact in terms of how we deal with those particular, um, you know, those trusts and, and promises. Um next part I wanted to discuss inshallah is that um, obviously to manage the trusts of the other people especially when it's regarding funds and money itself um, like do charities in your opinion have the right governance and processes in place to make sure that they do that um, obviously you, you, you started a, a software development or a software company that helps charities I guess to regulate uh, these these manners that they have, the manners that they have. Yeah. But like, in your personal opinion, like, how can we ensure? Uh, what kind of aspects do we need to have? And just not just in our characters, but yeah. just in general, like processes. What processes wise, like, what can we do to ensure that we are the ones who don't we mis we handle these uh, trusts properly? Yeah. So, um, I suppose w one of the things is that, of course, there are many elements to it. There's one in terms of looking after the funds themselves and having the right, you know, like, so everyone involved in systems, having the right people, making sure that you have the right culture. There's many elements to it. I think it does start off a lot with people. Um, and, you know, 
one of the things that I found is that those organizations, and this is with anything, this is not just in charities, this is if you're trying to establish an organization, if you're setting up a halakha, if you're running a masjid, a lot of it depends on having the right people in the right place. Um, and it's interesting because uh, Ibn Taymiyyah, he has a book on kind of siyasa sharia, which is kind of Islamic governance. Um, and in that book, he talks about the, the importance of having the right people. And he says very openly that, you know, for someone to employ someone in a particular role um, where they don't deserve it, then this is cheating Allah, his messenger and the, and the mu'mineen. And he talks about, you know, it doesn't matter if they are, you know, Arab or they're not Arab. It doesn't matter if they live close, if they're friends. There's a riwayat about Umar radiallahu an, you know, di, you know, being very angry at someone who would actually employ someone because of their friends and family. Um, but what he mentions, which is very interesting, which I thought I'd just touch upon, is that he says that al-wilaya, which is basically, you know, public functions, it has two main elements. Someone who is involved in a public function. And charity is a public function in the sense that you're taking the wealth of people to deliver it to the poor. So he says there's two things which are ruknan, the two main pillars. He says al-quwa wal-amana, basically strength and um, kind of trustworthiness. And this is an important point, actually, because what he says is that in order to fulfill a public function, something whereby you have responsibility, number one, you have to quwa. Quwa in his, in his meaning is that it's strength. It means having a, a level of competency, essentially. So he gives the example in jihad, that quwa in jihad, for example, is that you have, you know, courage, that you have the right weapons training, that you know strategic warfare. All of, these are called all of the main elements which help you excel in that particular field. Then he talks about amana, which is trustworthiness, whereby you have to be someone who is trustworthy in order for the people to believe, trust you and to follow your lead. So he uses the ayat in the al Amin when Lady Safura or the, one of the ladies said to Shu'ib about Musa salam that you know it's the best the one you can bring on or, or hire is Qawiyul Amin, the one who is strong, i.e. has the right competency for the job, is Amin, he is trustworthy. And we know what that about, Yusuf. Um, no. Sorry, what about you? I think you might say it. Yusuf yeah. al Islam. Hafidun Alim. Hafidun Alim. So Hafidun Alim, Jani al Khazain al Inni Hafidun Alim. Hafid meaning I am a guardian, as a, as a guardian over the food stores. That comes under Amana because you are looking after that. Ami, uh, Hafidun Alim, Alim, i.e., that I am knowledgeable, knowledgeable of how to deal with this particular wealth, how to store. That comes under competency. So, I mean, when I, when I, and even when we're, when I've worked in the sector, many of us we've talked about, whenever you try to employ someone, you've got to make sure that they're trustworthy and they're competent. There's a bigger discussion is that which one do you take precedence on, but I won't get into that now um, because there's some narrations on that. But the I, point I heard being, something about apparently that competency is even more important. I'm not sure if that's a container or something like that. Was yeah, there's something about. that Imam Ahmed was asked about. Um, he was asked about someone that, you know, what, to go into warfare, that should it be someone who is highly yes, skilled, but he's not too religious, or someone who is very religious yeah. and gentle. And so he preferred at that point, he said that because for the Muslaha, for the benefit of the Muslims, it should be the one who's strategically focused. But of course, I think there's a bit of nuance to that as well. Yeah. Uh, but mashallah, Asim, you seem to have been reading up on that, mashallah. I don't know, I don't know where that came from. <laughs> So I think, so what the point being is that having the right people, then secondly, I'd say that, you know, having the right systems and systems for me is part of, of Quwa. And this is why we're involved in this, in the sense that you have to be able to every single penny, which is coming in from, 
individuals from the websites from just giving and all of these different places to categorize that so if someone says i want to give to yemen food parcel zakah you have to be able to appropriate that in the right place if you miss one of those elements which is part of that you lose that donation in its truest form of what the donor intended um, and the problem with that is that if you haven't or an organization hasn't got the right infrastructure for that my personal opinion is that unless if they're trying to do it and and you know but they've not succeeded for whatever reason we say inshallah allah azawajal will you know forgive that because you're trying this part of effort ittaqullah mustata'atum that fear allah as much as you can but there are some cases where people aren't concerned about that and i would just go as far as saying that actually to pay have a decent reasonable administration to pay for good people good systems good infrastructure um whether it's you know uh, how you deal in the field and how you give the quality of the food and etc etc to pay a bit more to maintain the amana in my opinion personally now after looking at it is more important than to save cost and not fulfill it um i feel personally feel that the latter one will be held accountable for wallahu alam could you argue that um this is a bit slightly off of, but it's kind of in line with the subject matter is regarding the fact that you know companies they have to scale to a, to a certain level just so they can sustain their organization themselves and that scalability means they have to take more in more projects yeah. or whatever that may be so they'll need to have good uh good um good accounts they need to have good uh employees to help them manage the that everything accordingly otherwise there'll be mishandled mistreatment or whatever they may be yeah. so because of that need that does that sort of need to be scaled to that level i mean it does it does bring about some future problems i mean how would you uh, look into that yeah yeah i mean look i think that there are certain points whereby when organizations scale and i've seen it myself and i and i totally understand that in the sense that when you need to scale up you need to be in a situation whereby um you might need to invest more that's no doubt but i think you have to have an exit plan with that as well in the sense that if you don't have an exit plan for that um and as long as you're spending money wisely um then it's important i mean even the concept of you know uh, administration just generally that the fact is that allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has ordained is allowed that the 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 khalifa can take an eighth to pay the people who are doing it um in the masad al-fuqara wal masakin wal amilin alayha so some of the scholars the shafi scholars and some of the other scholars as well said that look to pay for the one who is collecting the zakah distributing the zakah storing the zakah counting the zakah everything you can give them an eight, up to an eighth some scholars went even further said you can give more some of them said in our time udratul mithl which is basically whatever you need to do to discharge the zakah properly that's the cost now without getting into percentages I, that's not really my my remit but what i would say is that the understanding is there is that if you in order to discharge the trust you can do that you can take some amount of element whether it's zakana is a complete separate point but from the sadaqa at least um but again it does come back to the trustworthiness and the competency of the people at the top um and i think the the more higher up you are in an organization in terms of your maling married man you're managing 2 million 5 million 10 million it is a big mas'uliya big responsibility um and so you know allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows best but you have to try your best to try and do that i mean i mean from your experiences then in that case um what is a bad example of someone not uh, what's a bad example of of someone trying to maintain zakat trying to maintain that trust and that amana with the with their donors and what not um i mean if you got any bad examples of um 
you know where that's problematic so we know like proportion wise what is good and what is bad um, so sorry just to kind of clarify sorry in what was the question like for example like you know a charity that has been given a large amount of funds to execute a project or a range of projects i mean could you give a bad example of someone not uh, someone um failing to do that or a good example of someone failing to do that and it's becoming short of um short of short of ihsan in that sense um so yeah. we can understand like what would be considered bad in that sense yeah i mean the thing is is that you have to be careful in the sense that of course um let's to say take a fictitious organization um of course i don't speak about organizations that i have worked with or i've seen many of them mashallah are doing just to clarify many of them are doing a, a really good job and they they've got some really good you know uh infrastructure in place to really sort things out of course it spreads across the sector and it's not easy i mean i know because i know the costs of things which are out there and it's a very difficult field because there's so much expectation from donors to reduce cost um but the reality is if you want to do something properly you have to be able to invest um so alhamdulillah there's a lot of good examples out there i mean what one thing i would say is that if someone is collecting zakat some examples of whereby there's a problem is that if you're holding so one is not knowing really how much zakat you have in totality so if you have for example a report is showing that you've received say 2 million or 1 million of zakat but you find that you don't have that 1 or 2 million which can happen for certain organizations because you know there's lots of um deductions taking place there's lots of kind of outgoings etc that's a big issue because of course people could argue if it's done uh in even with incompetence it could be you know a malpractice not from practice but it could be held accountable others are holding zakat for too long so you know 2 3 4 years some scholars did allow i know like we discussed with Sheikh Judey and others they said that look get, you should try to get it within the one year um but if for example there's a extenuating circumstance then it can go a further year however you should strive to be discharging those obligations um as much as possible it's like the prayer you know like you won't miss a prayer at this time regardless even if you're on the motorway the same with zakat zakat has a time whereby you have to pay by the donor but it's really it's the haq and the right of the beneficiary so the agent the charity who takes that money really it's not for them to decide when they're going to discharge it they just need to discharge it asap and maximum is 1 year because essentially if you hold it for 2 or 3 years you're basically holding it from the beneficiary um and so i mean there's a story very briefly um umar radiyallahu an he he was uh, lying on a lying under a tree and a woman came to him and i remember sheikh said uh, said the kamali kamali used to he mentioned this story as well where she would touch his foot and he woke up and she said that you know i haven't been giving this given zakah I'm, i'm a needy woman and i haven't been given zakah so he he woke up and he was a bit surprised and he said and she didn't know he was the amir mu'minin umar radiyallahu anhu so she you know he said okay he said to his servant said call muhammad ibn As- uh, maslama so um he was one of the zakah collectors and distributors so she then the woman said no no i think it's better you come with me to see muhammad instead of him calling him to you she didn't know he was the leader of the believers so he said fine and he said actually she'll he'll come don't worry so when muhammad ibn maslama came he said assalamu alaikum ya amirul mu'minin o leader of the believers and so when the woman noticed she became very shy and she got really quite upset that you know i'm speaking to umar radiyallahu anhu i didn't even know it was him And so anyway Umar radiyallahu anhu said that why is she not being given the zakah uh, she's not been given it for the last year and this year uh, and he mentioned a statement to the effect what i remember is that he said you know what are we going to answer to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala when he asks about this woman 
And then he says another statement. He says that, um, go and give it to her last year's and this year's, and I'm not even sure I want to make you collect zakah again. His concern was not just the fact that him in front of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, but also his concern was that I've employed someone to do a job and they haven't done it. Are they fit to be in that role? So, you know, the, the concept here, Asim and, and everyone, is, is, is a very serious situation. Um, and especially when we're not talking about dates and food packs, and we're talking about hundreds and thousands, millions of pounds, which are coming into accounts from various places, it becomes a very big responsibility. There's so many things that come to my head when you, when you mention that story. And I think, I think often at times, and this is going to segue to the next part, um, we get so focused on PR how yep. we are perceived by people. But I think the way that Umar learned was, was like how we are perceived by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That's the us. Yeah. Yeah. Straight away he was able to speak like that. And I think that narrative is 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 incredible. I think I think as charities, you know, they do I'm not saying they don't have that narrative, but it's like because of I work in marketing as well to a certain extent. So I can see the importance of having good PR, making sure that we you know, we take good videos of our donors receiving the gifts and whatever it may be to help build that, you know, love for the giving to charity, whatever it is. But like, how important is it, in, in a, you know, to to internalize that value or that way that Umar is in terms of how we saw that situation? Do you think it's important for charities to think like that again, if they aren't already thinking like that already? Yeah, I mean, personally, I think it's a condition, uh, Yani, I'll be honest with you, the concept of trustworthiness um, for these, for the zakah collectors as well, is that one of the, Ibn Taymiyyah mentioned in, in the Siyasa Sharia that it's a, no, sorry, it wasn't Ibn Taymiyyah, I think it was someone else who mentioned that it's it's a condition that trustworthiness is is present in that individual. Now, of course, it depends on who who that is, but the reality is, like you said, that that stems, though, from taqwa Allah, from the concept of having taqwa. In the sense that you know, as we know, the ihsan is that you worship him as if he sees you, and if he is, you know, if you do not see him, then indeed he sees you. Um, and so the reality is, is that you know that that whole mindset in terms of that, making sure that actually my obligation is no doubt that you want to raise funds, but whether you raise two million, three million, four million is not really the indicator of success. It is now because charities use income as a form of a KPI, a uh, key performance indicator for success. And they have to go back to the board and they have to say, okay, I've got this much restricted income, income. this is growth 10% year on year, et cetera, which is fine. And it's noble if you're doing it for the right reasons, fine. But the point being is that the reality though with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is going to be how much do you submit to your, to your aqood, that, you know, oh, you who believe, make sure that you, with your contracts, and this is a contract that you fulfill your contract, your contract with the donor that you you say that I'm going to fulfill this on your behalf. If you cannot do that, then you should not be taking the money. So this is what I say to people: is that if you're not able to fulfill that particular thing, for example, um, doing qurbani in a particular location by the time it's specified, which I know some charities, mashallah, are doing a really good job. I know I, I'll openly say that Ummah Welfare Trust, for example, they will say that when they filled up their their qurbani for a particular place they put on the website that it's full you can't donate anymore other charities might not do that but the reality is they might do it four three four days after the days of the shriek is that really allowed or even zakatul fitr there is some kind of flexibility but it has to be in a way whereby you know you you have to be on top of fulfilling those amanat and, and i think you know 
or for anyone in this in this particular sector, Asim, um, it has a high benchmark of kind of ihsan, taqwa, yani amanat, all of these things, which I'm not saying we have it and we all have it, but you have to strive for that. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows best. You know, it's even more interesting, the more that we discuss this, I actually realise um, that the... The whole point, the whole point of an Islamic government, whatever it is, is that is to absorb this amana, this responsibility as well. To be the spare. Obviously, when you have different charities, and let's just say they might view each other as competition. I'm sure they don't. But in reality, in the business world, in the capitalist world, they have, they view themselves as competitors to a certain yeah. extent. Um, and so, when you have an actual government doing or absorbing this amana, it kind of helps set precedent. And dictates the rules for these charities to operate, um, and I'm guessing they would be centralised to a certain extent as well in an Islamic government um, to to absorb that risk and, and to absorb that you know religious instruction. But it's just mm-hmm. amazing how we're living in the West. And maybe people don't think like this, but I think like this. You know how charities have to have that added element of amana, taqwa, and all of these things that they have to have in place just for their charity to be successful, even before the KPIs, even before anything else. And it's yeah. just, it, it amazes me to a certain degree how much is achieved by such incredible people. I'm sure there's so many amazing people you've come across in the charity sector. Like, yeah, yeah, you think, wow, sure. like, because they've had to absorb that. Yeah. You know, and it's amazing, subhanAllah. I mean, one, one thing I will say in favour and kind of in support is that many of the people I've met in the sector, uh, and I'm still, you know, close to them, etc. The reality is they don't take massive salaries. You know, like, when you think about it, many people, they have the skill set. Um, and I don't want to mention names, but there are people that I know. They have the skill set to do very well in corporate roles. And they could take, you know, they don't have to worry. But there's that sense of altruism in the sense that I want to do something for the sake of something else, not just for reducing operating uh, cost or for increasing profit by 5% for a multinational. They want to do it for that reason. And to be fair, many of them have, I mean, I'm learning things. I mean, I, again, openly, like, I don't, I don't shy away from when I see goodness. Like even with NZF, they put this calculate, this thing out, which was showing where the funds go. And I think, mashallah, is fantastic, that transparency. Um, you know, Muslim hands have seen what they've done in terms of that, that transparency with their, with their donors, uh, allowing them to come into a portal and see, you know, what have they given? Islamic relief, you know, mashallah. I mean, I, I've been help, dealing with them and they've been helping myself as well when we're looking at the zakah. They really did a, a really good job with their... Zakar policy got scholars from all around the place to sit down and discuss these issues. So there's no doubt that, you know, and, and you know, people like Reed Foundation, who I work with now, that, you know, really trying to make sure that they're doing the auditing of. So across the board, there's lots of khair, there's no doubt. I think from our perspective, I'd just say that, you know, it might not be in every single organization because you do have certain organizations that might not adhere to that. Uh, but the people are intrinsically, mashallah, really, that I just think that, look, as you mentioned, Asim, is that our level benchmark is higher because of course we we have Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that we, we're going to be accountable to and you look in the normal non-Muslim sector there's a lot of scandals you know people think it's just the Muslim charity sector there's loads in there I get emails every second every third day about a scandal here trustees left there there's been things here but I think that as we're going along and as we're improving I think that the Muslim charity sector over the next five to ten years as they start to get more kind of closer to um, the realization that this is an amana, I think that inshallah they'll supersede them, inshallah ta'ala. Inshallah. Uh, also, I was going to say now, this is a bit controversial, but I wanted to move on to this topic. 
um, was the idea of people cancelling charities. So we've already discussed the importance of charities having that added level of high standard of taqwa and amana and these kinds of things. Yeah. You can't you can't monitor you can't put it in in numbers, but I'm sure if you were to put it into developing our staff, develop, developing staff, that would be part of the training, which is additional cost and additional yeah. requirement. And perhaps something in the job role, for example, when you apply for a job for in the Muslim charity, it's probably wise to have in there some sort of Islamic benefit in terms of competency and also religiousness to a certain level. But like that's an added stress, an added quality, an added requirement. Um, and sometimes with that added expectation, there isn't a matching salary for that. For sake yeah. of argument, to to indicate that requirement or that that level of growth, but sometimes when we live in this world, the age of social media and whatnot, it's very easy to criticize charities for perhaps mistakes they may have made, which is correct. But this idea of cancelling charities, um, yeah. it does give a lot of charities uh, added pressure because do they have the PR budgets for these things? Do they have the right staff to be able to ensure they don't make these mistakes? And then maybe they don't have the, they don't have the economies of scale. To absorb these uh, problems, I mean, how would we discuss this very uh, controversial topic? Yeah, I mean, I, I'm de generally so th there's a few things. I think that to be very open, I think that the 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 white kind of the the blanket uh, cancelling of the charity sector, I don't agree with personally because, of course, as I said, there's many good organisations there. There's people out there. You get some people who are just saying, "Look, I'm not going to give to charities. I'm going to give to my local." Uh, to someone in Pakistan, which is fine. You can do that if you want to send 300, 400 pounds. If you want to start doing serious projects which change lives, you need to have on-the-ground experience. You need to have the right people. If you want to set up you know, agricultural farming, you want to do a microfinance scheme for a village, it's not going to work, but if you want to give 200, 300 pounds, that's fine. If you want to do that, send it individually. But if you really want to make a change, you need to go to the you go to the people of Dhikr and the reality is the people of knowledge essentially in this particular field are those who've done the research, they've done needs assessments they've identified the most vulnerable people in a community, what is the best form of finance for them is it cash, is it something else You know, what, what do women need, is it sewing machines is it not and really asking them and working out what the skills are, that, that takes a lot of needs assessments by the way You know, without going into kind of technical, they're expensive a needs assessment if you want to go into a village household surveys, speaking to individuals, doing all of that you know, it, it costs money and that, but if you want to do a proper job, you need to have that current state understanding. Um, on the other hand, though, I would say that uh, there is, you know, there is unfortunately small cases of malpractice. There are small cases of incompetency. There's no doubt. No one can shy from that. And I think we have to be fair, whereby even within the sector, we don't say that everything's hunky-dory and everything's great. But at the same time, we don't shoot it down. And as I was saying to yourself and, and Ustad Hisham, that, you know, our job really, especially those who work in the sector or who are involved in, in those kind of discussions, it should be really to improve things where we can. And where you need to say things, do it behind closed doors. If it means arguing with people, if it means fighting your corner, if it means trying to make sure Nahyan al-Munkar and Amr al-Ma'roof and all of these things, you, can, you shouldn't stop that. You know, if someone does something incorrect as haram, you should call it out, whether you're a, a cleaner in an organization, whether you're a, a staff member, whatever, you should still say that this is not right or at least find out what's happening. But I think the problem becomes when you start to cherry pick certain things from an audited annual report, you take something from there and you make your own conclusions without having the full uh, details, then I think that's a problem. 
because of course a condition of kind of doing amru bil ma'ruf is to have ilm to do a condition of enjoining the good and forbidding the evil according to the scholars is that you have ilm of that situation of that context before you go around spreading things um and some people i don't think have that full holistic view before they can make a you know a, a text message or a whatsapp unless you've yeah. spoken to people and you know then it's different yeah. but generally i think we should be working towards self improvement you know together uh, and that's the best way inshallah you know for example of some charities like let's say they they make a big mistake in the way they distribute zakat maybe it's not even a big mistake maybe it's just a, a small mistake but it's enough to warrant criticism and criticism yeah. is quite healthy if it's directed in the right way but sometimes yeah. people direct it uh, on social media platforms like twitter or whatever yeah. and then it becomes popular spreads yeah and suddenly the organization is now put in the deep end and yeah. they're affected in terms of how people view them but like uh, in those situations i mean it's, it's very hard to to coordinate and and come to you know something that's beneficial uh without it taking a hit on the charity itself because they've now yeah. got to find you know the expertise to deal with the situation maybe they are in the wrong and and they deserve to be yeah. you know deserve to fix that issue but do you think the method of the way it's been communicated like for example I, you mentioned an example about someone sending money back home to pakistan i went to you know a restaurant and i spoke to a couple of brothers and they were like oh the charity sector i don't trust any charity i don't i'd rather send my money home that's a good uh, you know good um way to get charity but the way you explained it like how you have organizations to help create those opportunities to grow it the right way but these same organizations could make some mistakes some mistakes on yeah. the way and and because they don't have budgets that are large enough to audit everything and, and come with you know the the right approach um so this it's like stuck in a, the, the charities themselves yeah. are stuck in a very difficult situation because they they don't have enough money to to actually do the full auditing process and if yeah. they do have enough money they have to you know there's there's always that sort of yeah, likelihood yeah. they might make some mistakes and being in that you know the limelight so i mean how where do they how do they operate in this situation this difficult sort of paradigm? i mean there's two things i'd say asim and this is just general that I, i've kind of I've, i feel i've picked up and seen is that number one um one follows on to the other the first thing is that i do feel that every single charitable organization should have islamic scholarship guiding them um and i feel that's not just in the the masail and the issues regarding zakah but just generally giving them whether it's training they have someone that they can go to um making sure that for example you know as we talked about the ayah um the verse about ask the people of knowledge if you do not know really the reality there's so many masail to do with the orphans money to do with zakah to do with udhiya to do with you know there's an example i'll ask you a question maybe i'll switch it a bit around now actually asim i'm going to ask you a question if you don't mind i know there's not planned Go for it. Go so what what thing is that which came up in a charity this is 3 4 years ago you know we ask allah subhanahu wa ta'ala forgiveness for this but you know there something came up when i don't know if you remember madaya madaya in syria it was under siege it was a place in 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 syria and they uh they this is the report whereby people they were because they were besieged by uh Bashar Assad's regime they didn't could not eat anything they had no food and so what they were doing they were eating grass i don't know if you heard remember this they were eating grass and they were eating they were thinking of killing cats that were there to eat this is actually more than 3 years ago i think it was 5 6 years ago so anyway we got a call from what a team in that area and they basically said to us that look there's nothing going in there's no food going in at all however the there is one way to get money in and that is that we give um 
basically a rushwa, like rishwa, like a, a bribe to some of the people who will allow the food to get in, but it's going to be about 60-70% of the cost of what we're sending through. Now, I remember at that time, that's a very difficult decision. If you want to send, for example, 30-50k, 100k, you want to send, and there's a good chance that 60% is going to be creamed off by the regime or whoever is taking it the off the black market, whatever, and only 30-40% of the money will get in. On one hand, you have this thing whereby, okay, you're muttar and you are forced to do it. But if you get 40% of the funding, you might be able to save some people's lives. On the other hand, if you don't send it out of principle because then you don't do it, that's fine. The regime or the people know that they can't try to bribe you, but it means that people are going to die. What do you do? Maslaha al-Nifasid. So I guess obviously preservation of life is is one of the uh, aspects of Sharia that you have to do. And I guess um, the if you're transparent with people that didn't giving money, for this particular situation that they are most there's a likelihood that not all the money will go to them but it'll be enough for them to survive and so, that in itself is more important I don't know. so definitely so the thing is is that we had a lot of discussion and we had to consult some people because there is that that came i mean i won't say what what we you know what would what happened but that was a consideration now the other slight thing that you get a rebound off that is that you then actually start to feed that mentality whereby then every time you want to send something, it's like the concept of that. They say the US doesn't negotiate with terrorists. The reason they don't do that because they don't want everyone to start kidnapping people. So what my point is, though, that these are some very difficult decisions, you know, in terms of zakah, you know, to what extent can you do it? And, you know, can you delay the adhi and all of these things? So the first one I mean is that I personally think Islamic scholarship in some form of the way, it's a board or an individual, the organization should have that. And I think as a recourse and as a benefit of that, uh, Brother Asim, is that, I'll say, is that one of the things is that, look, if you try to do it the right way, what I found with organizations I work with, those who try to do it the right way, even if they make mistakes, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gives them barakah. I've seen, you know, in cases that the people who are trying to do the right thing, Allah just gives, yani, yani, he just gives barakah, he nurtures it. Hatta in the hadith they say about the one who gives sadaqah um, for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, tayyib and from his, from his pure wealth, that he takes it with his right hand that it becomes like a mountain because the reality is they did it for the sake of Allah I personally think that when you do something inshallah someone who tries to do something for the sake of Allah they take their utmost effort to do things in the right way to do it the Islamic way to please Allah even if they make mistakes but it's not incompetency or malpractice personally I think that they're in a situation whereby they'll be given barakah regardless. Interesting. So I'm guessing in that case, it's important to have an island or someone who can not just look at it purely from the view of, of just percentages, but like the, actually the hadith shows to you that if you want to make, you, know, you want to do it out of your pure wealth and you're sincere, even that percentage may not be the case. There may be a way you could go, like go through that. But that sort of spiritual direction is important for charities as well yeah. in the discussion. It's quite important actually to Think of I think a lot of them, processes honest, a lot. Yeah, and a lot of them, to be fair, Asim, when I when I speak about it, it's not to say that they don't. I mean, there's loads of charities. And many of the major ones have uh, Islamic, uh, they have scholars on their board or they refer to them. It's not that they don't have it. I'm saying, though, that it's just good as a basic, as part of having staff, etc. Having that scholarly insight is important. Let's, let's move on to the questions, inshallah ta'ala. Um, 
from this person. How do we decide which organizations to give sadaqah to? Um, and from witnessing different charities, would you be able to recommend some that you have seen as reliable and trustworthy? I'm not sure if that's been the remit of the discussion to mention specific charities. So, no, I, I, I can, can see though, mashallah, to be honest with you, it's an important question because um, yeah. that's what a lot of people ask. Of course, I'm being kind of very conservative and, you know, I don't like a lot of controversy. I probably won't say openly. Um, I think in terms of how do we decide which organization to give sadaqah to, I would say that, um, yeah, I mean, it's, no one has to say that you have to go through annual reports and things like that. I mean, I don't think that's necessary. I think just generally getting a feel of how, you know, how often they feed back and, and what they're, um, yeah, I mean, I'd say probably look about what, what policies they have available, like things to do with zakah. Generally, people should have their zakah policies available, even if it's not a full document. But what is their recourse to how do they deal with the zakah, how they deal with certain things? Anyone who openly shows you that gives an indication that they're not trying to hide anything. Um, but general sadaqah is, is quite easy. I think that, you know, generally, I think we should have the asl should be husnadvan, that the origin should be that we have a good opinion of charities. It shouldn't be that we are mindful, we should be too scared of them. Generally, most of the major charities, as long as there's nothing which they've had like a history of uh, misdemeanors and issues, if you haven't heard anything and it's been regular, then you know, we say, inshallah, give the charity to them, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will accept it. That's my personal opinion. Um, but yeah, an organization which has had you know, time after time controversies, Personally, I'd probably avoid it because if they're still having it, then it means they've not fixed it. Um, in terms of who would I recommend, I, I, I probably won't be able to say, um, unfortunately. But um, yeah, apologies. Uh. You know, I was just thinking of that. This is a, whoever's listening to that. I think this is a really good idea. You know how you have um, those um, those investors? They have like the YouTube channels and stuff like that, and they look yeah. at which stocks or which portfolio of stocks, whatever, to invest in, and they break it down, they audit it, and whatnot. There should be some Muslim. A content creator who just make a YouTube channel, whatever, and he purely looks at, you know, he goes through all the auditing of different charities, he speaks mm -hmm. to them, so for that non bias, he then makes his own decision and helps people actually do like a portfolio, whatever it is, but then provides yeah. that sort of insight without being linked to any charity. He's yeah. non biased. I think that's a really good idea. I was thinking about it. Yeah, I think that's you asking. No, that's not me. <laughs> I think anyone's listening to this, inshallah, wants to be a content creator and wants to be non biased. That would, that would help a lot of people because a lot of people always have these questions. Yeah. And I think that, you know, in the, in the world of information, the land of information, it's important that we, we, you know, we get someone who can do something like that to give us that Definitely. sort of hand stuff. But a very good question. Any other questions from our listeners, inshallah, please just send them through. Um, just, just, I do apologize for the, the, the person who posed the question actually regarding for specific charities. Unfortunately, I don't think we, we can do that. With yeah, apologies. Podcast. But um, perhaps you could contact also the Rehan. Uh, outside the podcast, and if he's, uh, you know, if he's, if he's willing to provide his, you know, from his experiences, which charities would be suitable for that, you know, it might be very helpful, inshallah. inshallah. Um, but that's obviously also the hands uh, um, decision, inshallah. So yeah, um, alhamdulillah, today was a really good discussion. I'm just want to think of what other kind of aspects we could discuss before we end the, the session, inshallah. Um, I think generally we've talked about a lot of things regarding how charities yeah. should be thinking. How they should be, you know, trying to um, ensure that they have that amana and they also have that competency, as you mentioned, that quwa. Um, I mean, what else could you say that we haven't discussed today? We could discuss in terms of what charities should be doing 
um, and what people who give the charity should be doing as well. Yeah, I think, um, I mean, yeah, I think, mashallah, we think we've covered quite a lot, actually. I didn't realize, uh, mashallah, but I think that, yeah, I think in, in summary, I think that, look, on a general sense that we we as um, as individuals, because the, the the concept of kind of of, of having, having good opinion and trying to help each other is important. I know there's a lot of flack in terms of people used to talk about is there really Islamic finance and things like that. And my argument was always the fact that you know you may not 100% agree with an Islamic mortgage for whatever reason. I don't know I'm going slightly off topic, but it's the concept that. People might complain that this is not really 100% Islamic mortgage. And so you get into that cancel culture that forget it, I'm not going to go into it. But if it's 70, 75% more Islamic than a conventional mortgage, personally, is that it should be at least supported. There should be support from individuals, financial support, whatever needs to be done to try and help that. Because look, it never, you know, we know about the ayat of Khamar in the sense that the, the, the verses of, of kind of alcohol, the concept is the, the tadarraj in the sense that you don't go from A to Z immediately. It takes time in terms of going from one place, getting people on board, going to the next stage, going to the next stage. And I think it's the same with, with the charity sector, with Islamic finance, with anything else, which whereby in the construct that we're in, which is not an Islamic government or not an Islamic environment, what we're trying to establish is generally against the grain. And so when you're trying to bring interest-free mortgages, when you're trying to bring um, charities which are fulfilling their responsibilities and things like that, when you know people say, oh, you've got charity commission, but the truth is they don't really go into it too much. Um, what I would say is that where we see issues, as long as we kind of identify that it's not malpractice and people are stealing and things like that, I think as donors and as individuals, we should try to have, we should try to help. Um, yeah, no doubt, call out when something is munker and things like that. There's no problem with that. But I think that we, as a as a kind of ummah and as a as a UK-based Muslims, we do need to be a bit more cooperative and more encouraging to do that. And that's across the board. Um, so yeah, I mean that's probably my final point in the sense that you know, inshallah, I do think this things are looking well. But um, yeah, I think it's something that we we need to do, inshallah. I think as well the way that a Muslim should think is that you should look at. What is the things that are important? For example, zakat is one of the pillars of Islam, so zakat is important. Um, we should look at um, what we need to establish for our Muslims to, for example, housing. Housing is so important for Muslims. Yeah, actually owning a home and that home being yours, uh, your your land for future generations and whatnot, so that we have that stability is very important. So housing crisis is obviously an issue. Housing financing is an issue. Yeah. So all of a sudden now, Muslims are now thinking about issues. They're not thinking about the nitty-gritties of this charity, this charity, that. They're thinking of actually, how can we fix these problems through finance? Yeah. How can we... And when Muslims start to think like that on a huge scale, that will lead to much better change because we as the people who give the charities or the recipients of these projects, uh, of, of, the, of being donors themselves, we have responsibility individually to help them, to help organizations, for example, like the Rock Foundation that Ahmed is doing now, my blessing. Yeah, mashallah, successful. Yeah. These things are important. Even investing, like certain organizations that get involved in investing, they can they can put that into property. And, uh, yeah. you know, even things like this, like on a wider scale, Muslims are aware of these things and how our money can impact, how our uh, help can impact policy, perhaps even government policy. It's amazing when you think like that, how you will then start to appreciate what charities are doing and what organizations are trying to do. 
um, mm -hmm. as opposed to just thinking, you know, uh, I'd rather send money back home. Well, it's just still important, but like it helps you understand why these exist in the first place. Yeah. That helped me a lot, particularly speaking. Um, but yeah, Barakallahu uh, and thank you for everyone listening as well. Um, any closing thoughts, Ustad, before we go? No, no, Jazakallah khair. I'll let everyone uh, enjoy the rest of the evening, inshallah. Allah ibarik fikum. Thank you so much, Rihan, for your time, Ustad. Uh, it's a pleasure speaking to you. And uh, thank you for everyone listening. Please do subscribe to the YouTube channel, our, our uh, podcasts we have. Do, you know, follow the Google podcast from Spotify, I think, as well. Um, do check out our website. Everything social media related, inshallah, make sure you do that. And then let everyone know about the podcast, inshallah ta'ala. Allah ibarik fikum, subhanahu wa bihamdikum, ashadu la ilaha al-anta, nasnaqafu bilayk wa al-asr, inna l-insana fi khusr, illa l-dina amama anna salihat, wa sabi l-haqqi wa sabi sabi. Wassalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuhu wa sallamu alaikum.